You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. So I don't know about you, but we come into this place on a Sunday morning. And uh, one of the unique things about the church gathering is that some of us come in on the mountaintop. We've had an amazing week with the Lord. He has spoken to and through us all week. And then others of us come in limping. We, we come in and there's not, not even scar tissue yet because it's not an old enough battle wound. But we come in with fresh wounds. And God over and over again throughout His Scripture tells us to engage with one another to engage in community, to engage in community that lifts him up, that reaches after him. And so I'm thankful for the band and the team that came in this morning because some of the songs that we sang this morning, I needed to be sung over me because there are times in my life where I'm going, man, I'm struggling. I need to hear that God is for me, no matter if I'm not even for me because I make poor decision after poor decision, or even when I make what I believe is the right decision, God is for me, even when I mess up constantly. Isn't that a good truth? Maybe some of you, have you ever met somebody, that was a side note by the way, that has nothing to do with our sermon, so, uh, (laughs) have you ever met somebody who always had something that they were pursuing? They had a passion in their heart, and it was constantly on the front of their mind. I mean, these were the, this was the person that when you went to breakfast with them, and it was a casual breakfast just to kind of catch up with friends, you felt like it was a multi-level marketing meeting because you left and they sold you something, right? Like, have you met that person who's just constantly excited about something in their life? And that excitement is then put on every single person around them. It is on display for every single person in their life. And there's a truth that we all know and that I believe Scripture teaches and that we saw in the book of Zechariah as we walked through it for the 10 or 11 weeks that we walked through it, that our pursuit is contagious. Like the things that we pursue in our life, the things that take a passion in our heart, they are contagious because we are so passionate about them that the, those around us, those near to us, see them. You, you can't hang out with someone who is passionate about things and not hear what they're passionate about. If you were to go hang out with James Douthit today, one of the things that you would hear from James Douthit is that work is a good thing and he enjoys it. Right? Like if you don't, some of you are going, I don't know who James Douthit is. If you have a five-minute conversation with James Douthit, you will hear that he loves working with his hands. And that's not because he's trying to recruit you to come work for him, although he might be. But it's definitely because he enjoys working. Like if, if you were to ask him, hey, what do you want to go do today? He'd say, I want to go work with my hands. I want to get out of the office and I want to stop doing these things and I want to go build a house. Or, funny story, I called him one time and I said, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm burning down a house today. You hear about passions in people's life because they're passionate about them. Time and time again, we see throughout Scripture, you can go through Proverbs, 1 Corinthians 15, several other places that the people we hang out with 
influence our life because of their passions, because of their pursuits. How are you influencing those around you? What are your friends seeing you pursue? Are the things that you pursue, are they always wrapped up, wrapped up around your job? Are they wrapped up around your kids and, and their school or sports or extracurricular activities, math club, name it, whatever? Is it wrapped up around your leisure time? Or are the things that you're pursuing always coming back to the person and the work of Jesus? Now I know what you're saying, well, preacher's getting up here and he's going to make sure everything goes back to Jesus. But I believe that if you were to like comb through Scripture, what you would find is this interesting thing, that everything in your life always comes back to Jesus. No matter what you do, it's always for the glory of God. We just got out of this series looking at the people of God in the book of Zechariah who were constantly focused on the storms around them and yet God was saying, quit focusing on those things and focus on me. And this morning, for just a few quick minutes, I, I want you to know that God is a lot less concerned with the things that happen in your day-in-day -day life, and He's a lot more concerned with your pursuit of Him. Like me and you elevate our daily calendars above our daily walk with Jesus on a regular basis. When we wake up in the morning, many of us take out our phone and we look through our calendar, or maybe it's the night before, and we look through the calendar for the, for the next day or the morning of, and we say, okay, I got this meeting, I got this thing, I got this deadline at the end of the week, I got this and I got that. How often do we slow down when we're setting our calendar and saying, God, thank you for the busy week. Thank you for the Sabbath that you've given me. Yesterday was an amazing day for my family in some sense because it rained. And so we were forced to do nothing and to take a Sabbath. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I neglect that. I just go and I go because I have a personality type that's always trying to grow something or do something and I just neglect God's Word and I say, you know what, God, that rest is for somebody else. That Word that you had for not only all of mankind, but you rested, that's not for me today. Because I know better. And God says, no. Everything that you do points back to me. Every way that you pursue the things in your life should point back to me. And so I want to take us really quickly to a passage in 1 Peter. And I want to set up this moment. 1 Peter, or Peter is writing a letter to exiled Christians. These are people who are not in their homelands. They're, 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 they're out throughout the world. They've been scattered around. And they're worried about persecution. They're worried about all kinds of things. And Peter's going to write them a letter that tells them to not worry about the day-in, day-out things, but to worry and focus and cherish Jesus. This past week, I had a great opportunity to center the teaching this past Friday night with several others in the room of a guy named, a pastor named David Platt. He did a thing called Secret Church, and I talked about this last week a little bit. But in this moment together, what he talked about was that there are three billion people in our world. Three billion people in our world who have never, and at this point, have no opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Like this isn't three billion people who have heard it and chose not to accept it as reality. These are three billion people who have no opportunity to hear the saving news of Jesus Christ. Earlier in the week, I went to a conference, and a guy named Greg Steer, he's the president of Dare to Share, which is an organization that's been uh, empowering and equipping students for years to evangelize, to they, he kind of dare them to share their gospel, the, the, the good news of Jesus. And he, he was telling us about his counseling meeting he had with the church one time. And the church was a, a fairly large church, but it, it wasn't per se growing. It was kind of plateauing, which many churches in our, in our nation and around the world are in that same exact place. They're plateauing. And so he starts talking to them about your methods of growth. And he says, you know what you need to do to grow? You need to go. You need today to start training, equipping, and sending your students to go with the gospel, to their schools, to, to their ball teams, shoot, to their parents. You need to be sending them actively. Certainly training is an aspect of this, but they need to be going. And the chairman of the team that he was meeting with said, yeah, you know, we, we, we've been kind of doing that. We, we really think our model works best. And he, he began to unpack this model of, Sunday school and, and community groups and Bible studies and, and training sessions. And Greg looked back at him and said, how's that working for you so far? Now this is a church that's plateauing, that's not growing. They haven't seen new convert growth in many years. And before you sit here and think, well, you, you know, that's, that's that church. That's most churches in America, including us. And they had the audacity to look back at him and say, yeah, no, the model that we're going for is the model that we think works best. And Greg's looking at them going, are you crazy? Like, there's nothing wrong with training. There's nothing wrong with equipping. But if you don't go, you will never grow. And this is the same message that Peter is telling you and I. Those three billion people will not hear the gospel unless you and I go. Romans 10 says, how are they to hear if the gospel has never been preached? And Peter looks at this church and he says this, beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation 
of your souls. In case you missed it, I want to make sure that we get this. Peter's writing this letter to a group of exiled believers. Several groups, actually. They're not in their homeland. They're worried about persecution. They're worried about financial means so that they can live their life. And Peter points them back to the Gospel. He doesn't give them the nuts and bolts of how you go get a job and how you support your family. He says what you need above all things in your life is your pursuit of the living hope in Jesus. He says that it's an imperishable, undefiled and unfading gift that's being guarded for you through the faith that God has given you. And I, I love what he, he says in, in verse 6. It says about this living hope, about this thing stored up for you, this salvation stored up for you in heaven. He says, in this you rejoice. You, you rejoice in the salvation. Though, now for a little while, because it's necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that your faith will be built up. Notice he doesn't spend a bunch of time there talking about how you should embrace these trials. He says, is your heart pursuing after Jesus? And so I just want to ask you this morning, as we contemplate all the things that are going on in our daily life, as we contemplate the reality that there's 3 billion people in our world that have never heard and right now do not have the opportunity to hear the gospel, meaning they don't have the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. As you think about your calendar, as you think about your parenting and your work week and all the extracurricular activities, let me ask you this question. Do you believe in the living hope of Jesus? Do you believe in the living hope of Jesus? See, God gives us this, this moment to gather together as the saints intentionally to kind of break up our, our thoughts because we can get so busy in all of the, I don't want to call them mundane because there's so many important things that we do in our week, but the routine. And he says, remember that your pursuit of Jesus is above all other pursuits. And if you pursue Jesus, you will affect others. Students in the room, as you pursue Jesus, your influence at school will change. Your college choice will change. Your career choice will change. I heard John Piper say at one time is that we are not praying for our students to, to go to college, have an amazing job, get a house with a white picket fence, two, two cars, three kids, and a dog. That's not what we're praying for our kids. We're praying that they will radically seek after Jesus in all things that they do. And if that means that scenario, glory be to God. If that means that they go to a country in Africa or Asia in a dangerous part of our world, glory be to God. Because our pursuits should only be focused on Jesus. Like that is where we find our purpose and our meaning. And so this morning as we gather in this place, 
I need you to know that this gathering should not be the culmination, the, the high point, the, the mountaintop for your faith. It should be a gathering that encourages you so that when you scatter, we can go live lives of pursuing Jesus so that we can change those in this world. So that we can reveal to them the reality that our God's not dead. He is alive. It is a living hope that we have in the name of of Jesus. Amen, church? God, we pray this morning that as we sing songs of faith, as we sing declarations, that we believe the truths of Your Word. That we'll be burdened for the lost. That our gathering will be for the building up of the saints so that when we leave, the pursuit of who you are doesn't stop at the door. I heard it said this week that the world doesn't need or desire to hear one more cute phrase from us about God. The world desires us to live out that cute phrase. Because too often, God, your people are quick to speak, but slow to do. And so God, I, I pray that you'll convict us this morning. That some of us in this room need to repent. We need to repent because we've turned our families, our churches, our jobs, our hobbies into an idol. And we've put it in the pursuit of it in front of the pursuit of you. And we're missing the calling on our life to come and die and let you live through us. God, others of, this, of, of us in this room just need an encouragement this morning. We need to hear that the Spirit of God is alive and active and He's living through us and that the battle belongs to you, Lord, and that you've gone before us and you've prepared a way. And that way may be difficult, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is a faith stored up. And there is a salvation stored up for us in heaven. So that we might go through these various trials. But God, we know in the end, you are victorious. And so give us that encouragement today. When we, when we stumble and when we fall, point us back to your marvelous light. Draw us into who you are. Comfort us. Speak into our lives. Others in the room just need to hear, good, good job, my faithful servant. Keep running the race. Keep moving forward. Keep, keep pushing the gospel in all that you do. Lord, may, may we not forget the power of words that you've given us and the power of actions. In, in places that we go, may we be a light May we point back to the good news of Jesus Christ, the living hope of this world.